passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Dynamite. Your Wednesday night fixture. I'm John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. What's going on? Oh, not much. Not much. Yeah, Wednesday. Back. Back in the groove. Back in the groove we are. Yes. Ready to chat. Uh, Lots of news tonight, actually. So get ready. And then we've got AEW Dynamite to discuss. We're going to take some feedback at the end of the show. I'm all set. And who knows what else? Maybe we'll... Read poetry. Maybe we'll... We could do that. Yeah, maybe we'll just uh, um, sing. Uh, Did you ever have to write poetry when you were uh, in school? Did you have to have to write poems? I'm sure we did. Yeah, I'm sure in an English class they made us do that. And I I shudder to think what what that would read like today. Just rhyming words at the end of your lines and... Oh, look how clever this is. Um, I just, yeah, like I, I, I don't think I could do that now. Honestly, I've never really had that, uh, uh, appreciation, I think for just like poetry. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't imagine like a, what a seven year old me would have written. What about like rap lyrics? Can you, can you write like, do, do you think you'd be good at that? Um, no, I think that's incredibly difficult as well. But I think it is too. Yeah, but, but I have. I'm not saying like freestyling. I'm saying just like literally writing. Yeah. No, trust me. Especially at the level that like rap is at these days, I think it's um it 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 really does takes take a lot of special talent to to be able to be uh, I think considered good and not really cliche about it. But um, yeah, it's it's different. It's um it's different from poetry. But but yeah, sure, it, you can also consider it that as well. When I was in third grade, we had to do a contest where we had to write. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you, you've you written a rap song. Mm, that's not. Uh, I, I wrote a, a comedy sketch, and it's been misconstrued over the years. But thankfully, <laughs> thanks to you, Way, it's uh, I still get random messages every now and then from people, which is... Uh, thanks to me. What, well, I, I've shown great restraint by not asking you to take that down. I think I should be commended for my ability to withstand I think if you, the if you, comments I get. You know, my, my only dream maybe is that someday John d- develops a pro wrestling career so that uh, he can use J-O-P-O as his entrance theme. And then perhaps one day, if he gets popular enough, an entire arena full of people will start singing along 
to every word. Well, a thousand percent that is not happening. Um, but my story was that in third grade, we all had to write either a poem or, or, or something, something uh, w- within that and submit it. And I, I had this book and it had these tongue twisters in them. And I was like, how could you possibly write one of these? And I, I just ended up copying one from the book. And I was not even trying to be malicious about it. Like, I really didn't, I think, understand exactly what we were tasked with doing. And I just submitted this tongue twister that was in the book that I had and submitted it. And so... You plagiarized? I mean, I, I copied this tongue twister from this book. I was yeah, like eight years old at the time. So I submitted it. And then I was informed, like, several days later that not only did I do well on this project, but you have been selected to read your tongue twister in front of the entire school. Oh, no. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm really in deep here. (laughs) And it was like, what do I do here? So it's like, okay, cool. (laughs) And, dude, my parents were at this, like, this is like this major, like, evening assembly thing. And part of it was like the grade three class read their poems and this tongue twister. So I got in front of the entire school and read this damn thing. Anyway, and did I cannot say I took any pride in this because I realized I'm in I'm in way too deep here. But I was not going to out myself. And so nobody, like you were never caught until what you were never caught. Less. Uh, this is Kelly is listening to this podcast now. I'm really sorry. I did not mean I just did not understand what I was being asked to do here. And anyway. So what? Who was harmed? Um nobody. Other than the right the writer. The writer's work, I guess, not being acknowledged. So I do feel bad about that. <laughs> I'm sure they're after their royalties. Uh if yes. they listen right now. Uh, very quickly, if you're looking for Royal Rumble poll results, if you decided to skip Rwanda Raw for whatever reason, uh, you can tune into the end of that show for that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we got the results in early, so we went through them on Monday night. So if you want to go hear all of the results and some of the outtakes of submissions, uh, you can go tune in uh, at the end of the show from Monday's Rewind a Raw. And uh, just quickly looking ahead Thursday, we're going to have the Cafe Hangout. It is the season premiere, I am dubbing it, of the Cafe Hangout. 3 p.m. Eastern time for all patrons to tune in live. We're going to be joined. Uh, Way, who is our special guest? Gareth from Grapple, the founder of Grapple, which is the uh, wrestling rating app. And uh, he's here to talk about the Grapple 100, which is, a, which is a compilation, I guess, a list of the top 100 matches of the year. The creator of Grapple, even more impressive. I've never understood founder. Founder is like, oh, look, I found this app. It's like me finding a tongue twister. It's like, no, I didn't create anything. I found it. Founder. He's the creator. Creator, yeah. Sure. Yes. That's going to be on Thursday. 3 p.m., everybody. Tune in. Should be a lot of fun. Lots of calls that we will be taking as well, chatting about any subjects you would like to uh, undertake. Then we've got uh, Rewind to SmackDown on Friday night. Followed by Thunderstruck on Sunday with WH Park and Rich Kreich from the Voices of Wrestling Network as uh, they will be chatting uh, the latest in the long chronology of Jushin Thunder Liger matches. So you can check out that. And then Sunday night, Wayne and I have a bonus show for patrons reviewing the new beginning cards happening this weekend in Sapporo, including what I know, Way, is your match of the week, Kazuchika Okada versus Taichi. It's a battle of the pants. 
it's if they don't do that spot, what a what a wasted opportunity this will be. Pants versus pants, like a throwing contest, maybe. They've got to at least do where they each tear off their pants. Mm, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, we will find out. Uh, so there you go. If you are a member of the cafe, you get the live show on Thursday with the hangout and then SmackDown Friday night bonus show Sunday night after New Japan. Quite a bit of news to get into here. So let's uh, we will rapid fire go through a bunch of this uh, in uh, Canada today. It was uh, Bell Let's Talk Day. And Mauro Ronaldo, every year, he does an interview on TSN 1040 in Vancouver, um, talking about the initiative and his own struggles. And I listened to this interview right before we did the show tonight. And so a lot of interesting notes in this thing. It was a brief interview, but he spoke in this interview about this last year being uh, one of the hardest for him to endure. And he mentioned uh, a multitude of factors, uh, turning 50 all of the travel he's doing now uh, and also, you know, spending a lot of money on therapy. And he mentioned that he was hospitalized at UCLA this past summer. And when he is not on the road, he is in treatment. And this is not just, you know, go in, speak for an hour and then you're out. He is in a treatment where he is pretty much in there from 10 a.m. till 5 p.m. each day. And he's just going to different rooms and he equated it to like being a college where it's like it's just different uh, courses that you're just going through. And this is like an ongoing process for him. Uh, the host did bring up the incident with Corey Graves that happened uh, over Survivor Series weekend. And Morrow was pretty diplomatic in how he handled it. He just said that. It was a blessing in disguise because because it got him off of social media that he was very, very negative towards in regards to social media and said he will never go back to social media. He has deactivated all of his accounts, and he does thank Corey Graves because that was the impetus to get rid of it. He said that everyone has a right to their opinion, and everyone can critique everyone however they would like. Uh, however, he did say he would never do that to a coworker, but said it's been addressed, and he moved on from that. But he really did stress like the anxiety that comes with social media and depression, and it's just not something that he has any interest in participating in. So, you know, it, it was quite an insight for those that maybe have not seen his documentary or have only kind of um, heard about his struggles, but just seeing, you know, what the day-to-day -day struggle is like. Um, I wasn't even aware of uh, some of this stuff. Me neither. Yeah, my... I guess how how would you really know un, un, until you hear Moro really talk about how much of a uh how intensive it sounds like the his therapy is every single day so um I I really wish I mean I it, it also is I think somebody uh who seems to be vouching for the um benefits of getting off of social media uh maybe it's a bit of a wake up call you know for how how much damage it can be doing to certain people if 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 it if you do maybe suffer from some of these effects. Yeah, certainly. He also had a really interesting discussion just about the, you know, he says that, you know, he is spending so much money on this, on this treatment that he would be saving a whole lot more if he was in Canada. And yet this is, you know, this is an illness for so many people. This is a debilitating illness for many, but it is also a very costly one to be able to treat. And that's, you know, another 
you know, his Morrow's big thing in this interview at the end was, you know, the, the tagline is let's talk. It's we, we've done the talking. There needs to be action that follows talking about all of this as well. And I think that is the next step as well is, you know, for, for people that are suffering with this, it's, it's not so easy as to go out there and get, and get help. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, you can check out that interview if you'd like. It was on a TSN 1040 in Vancouver. Uh, the raw number from Monday night, this was coming off of the Royal Rumble. They did 2,400,000 viewers, which was only up 20,000 viewers from the week before. It seemed that the Royal Rumble and Edge's return um, did very little when you have to when you compare it. This was their highest number of the year, um, just beating out last week's, um, but lower than the wedding episode with Bobby Lashley and Lana. Um, the first hour actually started slightly lower than last week. However, the third hour was their highest third hour since the wedding episode. And that was, I'm sure you can attribute that to keeping edge till the third hour, but I will still maintain if you have something big, you should be doing it in the first two hours. I don't think there's, if, if teasing all show long, which they did for edge, uh, cannot maintain that third, that audience in the third hour. I don't know what is like, there is always going to be that drop off. I think no matter what. So why don't you put your biggest thing where the most eyeballs are going to see it. And that to me would be the end of the first or end of the second hour or in that first segment, the first segment sometimes is the most watched segment. Sure. I feel like, you know, most weeks it it almost seems like the show certainly peaks at either the 10 o'clock or maybe even at the beginning. So, um, I don't know. To me, it's almost indicative of just how, how much like a toll I think the quality of raw as well as it being three hours has taken on most viewers because like I feel like as much as maybe you know um coming off of a pay-per-view there might be a newsworthy event it's just so daunting to like devote three hours of your evening to this one thing that I I just see people giving it up in, entirely and finding out all the juicy bits a little bit later on but what do you think – what would you attribute to – like just looking at the last two years, okay? Last year, they – this year, they were down 11% from the Raw after Rumble last year. Two years ago, which was the Ronda Rousey debut, they're down 29% in two years. And to me, it's like this show's been three hours for years and years at this point. Uh, not The same excuses you would have now were prevalent two years ago. Like, what do you think is the biggest factor that 29% less viewership is showing up for the Raw after one of the major pay-per-views of the year? Like, one or two for most people. I think when you're talking about, you know, WWE Raw, um, I feel like much of the viewership that's still there is watching out of habit. And for somebody to shed a habit, it certainly takes time. And yeah, like, maybe three years ago, we had three-hour Raws, but I think over the course of that time the habit of no longer watching raw because it is such a i don't know unre- unrewarding uh experience most weeks if you do but this was you had edge showing up like to yeah, me that's I know. the one where okay john I'm, you had I'm tuning edge. in for that you might be tuning in for the final segment but you're certainly not going to spend 3 hours to watch a 10 minute segment it's just not a worthy use of your time especially when i can just go on youtube like an hour afterwards or the next day or go on Twitter or Reddit and see the same thing right. without having to devote my entire evening. So, I I mean, yes, we did have three hour hours uh, years ago, but I think it's just week after week of like, you know, 
um, kind of being you know, your audience is kind of getting burned on unsatisfying experiences that I think has kind of whittled the audience down to what it is today. To me, it's a gradual cooling off of the product. Yeah, and what we and we don't know what the what that final segment did either. Like we only see what the average was for the totality of that third hour. So, um, you know, maybe there was a big spike for that last segment uh, with Edge. We'll find out. But nonetheless, it was uh, I think overall uh, pretty pretty disappointing for coming off the Royal Rumble and having something big at the Royal Rumble in Edge's return. Nonetheless. Uh, moving on here to our next story, we've got uh, Pro Wrestling Noah has been purchased yet again. Uh, last year, 75% of the company had been sold to uh, a company called Ledette, and now 100% of the company has been sold to Cyber Agent, which is this IT company that is publicly traded. It's been around since 1998, and what's their connection to Pro Wrestling is that they are the ownership group of DDT. And it sounds like uh, Senshiro Takagi uh, went to the president of Cyber Agent and kind of explained to them, like, we we need to save Noah. And Susumu Fujita, who is the, the president of Cyber Agent, uh, I guess gave his blessing and talks began around November. And then the announcement was formally made on Wednesday after Tokyo Sports had reported this. And uh, the DDT Pro English uh, Twitter handle uh, went through the press conference, which they held on Wednesday morning. And a lot of interesting notes here. Senshiro Takagi, who's the president of DDT, will also serve as the president of NOAA. But he's going to be on the the business side, while Naomichi Marafuji uh, will be uh, the executive vice president of NOAA, uh, and kind of the day-to-day stuff of NOAA will be handled by Marfuji and uh, former NOAA president, Arahiro uh, Takeda. So it sounds like NOAA is – Takagi will not be creatively involved. It's more so the, uh, the the business end of running NOAA. And it sounds like there's going to be a lot of – well, at least some cross-pollination between the two. Mainly that NOAA will now be featured on DDT Universe, which is their streaming service. NOAA has never been available on a streaming service Uh other than the YouTube shows that they've done over the past year. And this begins with uh, Thursday morning's card, which is the final of the Global Junior Tag League. They're also going to be doing uh, back-to-back nights at Sumo Hall, uh, November 21st and 22nd with DDT and Noah running cards. Uh, so th- this is a, a major shift for Noah. And I think, way you also have to look at the the timing of all this, that it wasn't too long ago that uh, Fumi Saito had reported that WWE was looking at potentially buying stardom and talks about Noah and fast forward a few months. And now both of those companies have aligned with other companies with stardom under Bushi road. And now Noah with, uh, with cyber agent. Yeah. Really interesting that I think, um, uh, WWE seems to, if, if these reports of course are, are to be believed, I mean, I don't know how much interest might have been towards the end here, but if they were going after either of them, it certainly did not pan out. And um, I, I think it just goes to maybe show how perhaps uh, the loyalty that might exist with the Japanese company wanting to be owned by a Japanese, uh, another Japanese company rather than, you know, being sold to uh, an American uh, giant like the WWE. 
Yeah, uh, Noah will continue to have uh, their slot on Samurai TV and G+. They're also going to be starting to stream on a service called Abima TV. Uh, But now if you get DDT Universe, uh, they're going to be carrying one to two Noah shows per month. And what I like about this is that it doesn't require you to – like Noah is not getting put on a separate service. If you're a DDT Universe subscriber, you're just getting more content and – if you're going to like, it's not like you were paying for something for Noah before. And I, I think the, the consolidation when it comes to streaming services, that to me overall is a plus where you can spend money and get multiple promotions under one umbrella. For sure. Yeah. I mean, if, if the value of the, of the um, service is the same, um, it only adds to it, increases visibility. Uh, I, I suppose like Noah really could have like started its own Noah world or whatever but like at like ten dollars a month or 9.99 yen a month um just for noah it i i can't see at least a ton of people on this side of the of the ocean wanting to include that but if you include that along with ddt or tokyo joshi pro uh as a full package and if it consistently delivers like you know a, a must-see match you know uh, every so often i i can at least see people thinking about it a lot more yeah and i guess you know this year you know it sounds like noah's finances were you know it just seems like they were they were having issues throughout 2019 and this year it'll be interesting to watch how the how it works with ddt and noah under the same ownership and contrast that with new japan and stardom and just see what the integration is like between the two companies and where stardom and noah are as a result of these sales by the end of the year mm-hmm. as well All right, moving on here. Um, Dave Meltzer reported on Tuesday that Samoa Joe indeed suffered a concussion during the tag match on Raw. So no update as of yet now uh, regarding Samoa Joe, but um, just one of those things in a match where it looks like he banged his head off that dive. And I mean, I give a whole lot of credit to Rollins, Murphy, and Kevin Owens because they did not skip a beat in that match. I give them credit. I also give WWE credit for just taking the guy out of the the match um you know surely there's in 2020 2019 i feel like it's it's kind of long overdue but it seems like it's almost the norm now uh like we saw on saturday and like we saw on monday if somebody seems like they are uh not fit to perform even if on the suspicion of a concussion to just take them out and to have the rest of the performers carry on I, i i commend not just the performers but wwe Definitely. I thought, um, you know, that's a great sign that they will interrupt the match and tend to the performer. And I, just to make mention, because you and I didn't really talk about Worlds Collide, but the handling of that scene by uh, Drake Wirtz, the referee, that guy did not skip a beat. There was no deer in the headlights. That guy was in charge of that situation, did everything right. And I, I think he deserves a lot of credit because that's that's a high pressure situation in a main event. You're a couple minutes in and a performer is is knocked out like that and the world didn't end you know no no the those performers like they they just moved on they're like okay here's a hurdle that we have to get over and get around and they still had a fantastic match and uh and the performer was not further compromised he was taken care of mm-hmm. so i think that was certainly a lesson um 
And just rounding out things here, uh, WrestleCon has announced that uh, Bandito will take on Shingo Takagi on the Mark Hitchcock Memorial WrestleCon Super Show. That's happening on Thursday night, April the 2nd, uh, down in Tampa. Uh, that's the same night uh, WWE has their Hall of Fame. The Bloodsport Show is going on. But, man, that is a early contender way for potential match of the weekend. Certainly. Absolutely. Um do you think now would be the time that we're starting to see a lot, a lot of these cards get announced? Yeah, there's about 5,000 cards, and I think we're about to get 10,000 announcements over the next little while. I think everyone's going to be uh, slowly rolling, or maybe not so slowly, rolling things out over the next month that we're going to get. Uh, it, I, I think now is the time. Like People are making their plans now. They've got to know, what am I, what am I getting with my ticket beyond just, you know, you have your themed shows where I think if you're, if you're buying a ticket to the the TNA show, you kind of know what you're getting a ticket to. I think that's less um, less about the matches and more about the experience that you're buying. But other shows, I think you want to know exactly what kind of matches you're seeing. And I think it's imperative for some shows to get those match announcements out in an, enough time that people are making their plans. For sure. And on the TNA note, they announced Petey Williams and Amazing Red for that reunion show. Yeah, they've added them. They've added uh, Scott Steiner. Chris Harris is on that show. All I will say is that if Don West isn't on this show, I, I mean, he has to be, right? Well, is he going to, like, is there going to be commentary? Well, is this being broadcast? I think so. On Twitch? Or um, Fight? I would think it's on Impact Plus right. or something. I, I, I'll, I'll look into that. Okay. I couldn't imagine it's not being streamed somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, did you see any of uh, Power this week? I saw what you recommended, which was, I, I saw basically the, the Nick Aldis bits. Yeah, that's all I wanted to talk about. I thought this sit-down segment was so awesome. Mm-hmm. I thought this was my favorite Nick Alda segment to date. Uh, he consistently impresses, and I think, you know, because power had only begun uh, when it did last year, I don't know if he was on, Nick Aldis was on many people's, like, you know, best on the mic uh, uh, list, but I feel like with the increased visibility of NWA starting from January this year, it certainly, judging by work like he we saw on Tuesday, um, it certainly seems like he's going for that title because it's hard to find across too much professional wrestling that's on TV these days the level of quality and just natural speaking ability of somebody like a Nick Aldis in a segment like that. He's fantastic. If you haven't seen this, um, I'm not going to say you have to watch the whole episode, but the final 10 minutes are definitely worth uh, the watch. So they're they're setting up those two for the Crockett Cup in April. They don't have a date and it sounds like they don't have a location either because Aldis kind of gave out this open call for <laughs> cities or buildings to place their bids. Place your bids, yeah. Yeah, do, do you think like the uh the governments are going to be convening after power and putting down like what's in our what's in our spring budget? What can we afford to levy towards the NWA event coming to our town? Well, we'll see who actually wins the bid and we can we can perhaps uh judge what what type of package they might have presented. They are going with a super old school angle where Marty Skrull will get his final shot at the NWA title. But if he loses, he has to refund every fan's ticket. So I I found that interesting because like what is the psychology behind that? If you're a fan, wouldn't you cheer for the other guy to win so that you get your money back? Yeah, the, the idea should be that you want Nick Aldis to lose here. But... You're really presenting a uh, a conflicted feeling among the fan base that 
Man, it, w- it would be awesome if Nick Aldis wins this because we're getting our 25 bucks back or whatever. That said, I think the, the night of the event, this this audience will be firmly behind Marty Skrull. You know, it, it, from what I've seen, like, the uh, and power audience is a pretty, like, I don't want to say obedient, but, like, they they know their role. And they know who, who they're supposed to cheer, who they're supposed to, to boo. And I, I don't see people booing uh, Marty Skrull for, for even if it does mean that him losing will get them a refund. Yeah, the the contrast is that the fan base is probably believing there's no way we're getting our money back, and therefore you're training them to believe we're going to see a title change. Right. So you right. have you, you have that going for it as well. Um, well, you wouldn't. People will think. Wouldn't the ult- we're going to see something important? Wouldn't the ultimate babyface move be for Marty to not only win, but to offer refunds anyway? <laughs> Everyone, Billy Corgan's at the door. Go see him. <laughs> no, I so, don't see that happening, especially with uh, the lack of uh, or whatever YouTube revenue this show might or might not be making. All right. Oh, I, I said there was a lot of news. One final one because I need your reaction. This is stunning. The Bella Twins are both pregnant. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, How perfect. And this is a- you know what, John? I predict ratings for total bellas to be a little bit higher this season at least compared to total divas well this is like this is an amazing story that these two sisters are pregnant and they're within like a couple weeks of each other uh and their due date now the next season begins in the spring so i'm imagining this will be incorporated into the new season i would imagine it's it's like they knew about this i think in november is what they told uh right in the in the people magazine interview for sure yeah yeah and I suppose maybe the timing of this announcement seems to when when is the debut? Do you, do you know? Um, in the article, it said it comes back this spring. Okay, so I don't know when. Yeah, but sometime around then. Well, congratulations uh, to both. I mean, you know, for Nikki Bella, if you're a follower of of, of her show and her uh, of, of Total Divas or Bellas, it's this was this was a big part of I think uh, everything that she's been doing thus far. Her relationship through. With John Cena and now with with this guy Artem, it's uh, I I feel like I've been on this journey with them, so I look forward to seeing how it plays out. Was Artem a, a character on the last season? Yes. Okay, like a regular. Yeah. Well, I mean, they started dating. You know, it like because I think the the breakup was the season prior to that with Cena, right? And then this season was more about like the la- the latest season was more about Nikki like being single again and starting to date. And then I think the the season culminated with them announcing that they were a couple or something. So we've got a wedding and two babies on the way. Yeah. Man. Well, uh, that is to come on Total Bellas in the spring. I I think that this has to grab you way for some recaps for us. (laughs) Recaps, sure. If people are interested, then yeah. Everyone wants to hear Way's Total Bellas recaps. They were my favorite. But now we go over to Cleveland, Ohio, the Wolstein Center, the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, or as some refer to it as the museum. It's debatable, uh, but very confusing. This was this is the story about about that, and then we'll get right into our review. Is that when we were there for UFC two o three in two in two thousand sixteen, the CM Punk one, the CM Punk fight with Mickey Gall and uh, and Stipe Miocic and Alistair Overeem. And the day before the event or the day of the event, I can't recall, Ariel Hawani was asking, hey, do you guys want to go to the museum? And 
I'm thinking like a typical museum. And I said, ah, we kind of got plans, so I don't think we're going to go. <laughs> so the next day, Way and I wanted to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we went there and we were there for a few hours. And then we're getting ready to leave. And I run into Ariel Hawani, who says, what the hell? I thought you guys had other plans. <laughs> I said, well, we weren't really down to go to the museum. I'm like, but you're at the museum. I'm like, this isn't the museum. This is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he said, no, this is the museum. Like, it's the same thing. No one would confuse the two. So it was uh, it, it, he, I guess, thought we were like just ditching him to go and di- and we're going to go to the same place, but just didn't want to go with him. But that was not the case. I just was not interested in going to what I thought was like, you know, a museum with like a bunch of dinosaur bones and stuff. Right. You don't think about like, you know, rock and roll when with the word museum. I mean, who doesn't call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've really tried to think since that event, who was in the wrong here? You know, who was you in- were not on my side in this argument, as I recall. I think you were more towards his side of the whole. Thing. I, I just feel like I guess it, it would have been a, a misunderstanding standing that would have been easily solved had somebody uttered, uttered the phrase rock and roll in the entire interaction. But somehow, I mean, both I, will, I will admit fault that I should have just said, I think we're going to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the problem would have been solved right there. We would have all gone together. Yeah, it would have. So that was a big I just I really want to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In fact, my mouse pad here is my gift I got at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've got it right in front of me. That is wow. That's amazing. That's crazy. Insane. Insane that you still use a mouse pad and that. Um, yes. It is, from, it is from the place that we talk. Are, are mouse pads like out? Uh, uh, are they not popular any longer? <laughs> I suppose they're not. I don't know if they're really necessary. In the PC world, they they are still in vogue. I think you're just are they? you're just you're just skewed by your no. I mean uh, with 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 the laser ma- mice, the optical mice. I don't think you need mouse pads. Um, I love, uh, like, have you tried using your mouse without a mouse pad? Like t- straight on the table? Like, do yeah. you think I'm a masochist? Like, no. no man. Mark up my table. Mark up no, your I, table. What kind I mean, of mouse I do c- you have? No, I don't. I don't like it. It's, it just it sounds weird. I'm going like mouse against wood. That's no way. <laughs> That's just no. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> mouse pad till I die, dude. What an interesting okay. man. <laughs> what an interesting man. I use a mouse pad. A.W. Dynamite from the Wolstein Center in Cleveland, Ohio. I use a mouse pad, too, for the record. You do use a mouse pad. Well, my mouse pad has like a like a wrist, like a wrist rest. A wrist rest. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my excuse. I'm really using it for the wrist rest, not so much for the actual pad itself. Your mouse pad is just like a flat piece of plastic. It builds up the wrist, the wrist muscles. I'm not. I'm never gonna have like carpal tunnel or anything from this. <laughs> the spirit of rock and roll is with your wrist. Totally. John Moxley comes out at the beginning of this show, and this place is going insane for Moxley. He's still got the eye patch on. Uh, he says that the fun and games with Chris Jericho are over. Brings up. Jericho's heinous acts in the past, including once punching a woman, which was, I guess, our out of context line of the night. If no one was watching WWE in 2008, he said, Jericho uh, Moxley is no hero or role model, but he can look himself in the mirror. No championships mean anything without honor or living by a code. And Jericho is a manipulator 
a coward, and a bully. And I hate bullies. He is going to look down the barrel of the gun and he won't blink. He's taking the title from Jericho and he's not waiting till February 29th. He calls him out right that second. This was a great promo from John Moxley. Very natural, very confident, and just like so cool. You Do know, you remember like, this guy's promos two years ago? Uh, I think I, I blocked them out of my mind, but they I, I recognize that they weren't this cool. Like this is like effortless. Can you imagine the frustration level when you know you've got this in you? This guy's just just seamless in his delivery. Mm -hmm. Jericho comes out, and it seemed like the crowd was trying to sing his song like last week, but they just gave up very quickly, and Jericho called them typical Cleveland idiots. They were certainly – I think everybody watching last week on the boat recognized how great of a moment, how cool of a moment that was. It's going to continue now. They were trying here, but like I guess these lyrics are kind of complicated. You know, the main event they did much better when he came out. I think the <laughs> it's like I mean it's like drunken karaoke, right? Like you, you 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 like the you know the chorus. People know the chorus, but the rest of the song is just like eh, the come uh, the the like it just kind of fades away. I mean, uh, on their Instagram or something, they actually put out like a sing along video. With lyrics, yes. so people, if you are going to another AEW event, watch this thing and learn it. Uh, or they could just put put the lyrics on the. Braden is going to put this video. Braden's going to put this video on a, on a jump drive just when he goes out to karaoke. Now they just because hand out lyric sheets. Before last week, I didn't think there was a person in this world that wasn't a member of Fozzie beyond Braden Harrington that knew all the lyrics to this. So th- it blew me away last week. I I was very surprised too. He made a bunch of jokes about John Moxley looking like Jack Sparrow, and he's stupid for not joining the inner circle. And Jericho ran into Moxley's mother backstage and said he might give her a call later. And he told her that this is all John's fault and said he doesn't have what it takes. He doesn't even have what it takes to blink with both eyes. Just a bunch of blind jokes that we're going to get for another four weeks. He teases a match tonight before telling the audience to go to hell. Cleveland's not worthy of this match. And then the rest of the inner circle comes out. Moxley says that they think he's stupid, but it's not five on one if he fought them all right now because he was born here in Ohio. And he did the O-H-I-O chant that Jericho did not understand here. And he said, it's not just five on one. It's five against me and this entire arena. And my favorite part here was Jericho proceeded to call him a son of a bitch and they were going to beat the shit out of him of those words they censored son <laughs> <laughs> they missed bitch and they didn't even try to get out shit <laughs> was the censorship and, uh, an issue for you this week no no this week that it was non-existent yeah we, Other, this might have been the only instance of even trying to censor something so there was definitely no issues this week like last week to me was just the worst we heard a lot of shits but, you know, like this this week, the crowd didn't necessarily cuss on their own, like in a repetitive fashion. In fairness, the crowd was probably 80% inebriated last week. Oh, yeah. So then they just randomly brought out these five guys identified as thugs from the South Bronx to make it 10 on one. And it led to Moxley just approaching them all. Ortiz stepped forward and took a double arm DDT after a headbutt. 
and then officials were out to try and separate everyone. An official got hit with the double arm DDT and Moxley left through the crowd. And as he's in the crowd, his eye patch like moves off the eye and you can just see the eye is all taped up. Oh, my God. The dedication of John Moxley to getting this uh, this eye injury over. Seriously, the moment like the the patch fell off, I thought, oh, okay, they're going to expose the gimmick. Like, uh, you're going to see his eye; it's going to be perfectly fine, and it, the whole thing's going to be ruined. Oh. But, but no, this was like not only did it's this taped. man, yeah, he had proper bandaging behind the eye patch itself. So like for weeks, it seems like so this guy not only had the patch on for the entire cruise, even while he was doing karaoke on like a night off, the guy had his eye patch on. And to think that that entire time, not only was he wearing the eye patch, but had the bandaging behind the eye patch as well, um, to me, I think shows shows a real commitment to the selling this eye injury. Bravo to him. Mm-hmm. Anything involving eyes just makes me uh, nauseous. Yeah. So just seeing this like taped up stuff, it's enough. They've sold me on this angle. I thought this was like a really good Steve Austin type of segment. With you know a great heel leader in Jericho to oppose Moxley, who I love that they just brought out like five random South Bronx street thugs, all to just like make the ten on one advantage for Moxley to to just rush without any hesitation. I, it made Moxley look so cool. Moxley was the biggest star on the show tonight. I thought mm-hmm. they did a taped feature of MJF and Wardlow walking into this mysterious meatpacking plant where the butcher, the blade, and the bunny are in the back carving up meat, and they handed them a stuffed envelope with the words Young Bucks written on the envelope. So they're, so they're actual butchers. They run a butcher shop. Yeah. So I guess one of them is a butcher, and the other what? Does he just cut the meat, and the other one Wait, the butcher ends up... I mean, I think it's interchangeable because doesn't a butcher do the cutting? I guess, I guess it's kind of one in the same. And then you've got a bunny. One, one is perhaps like a better butcher, and thus they're, he he obtained the moniker. Like he is the literally butcher. the butcher. Yeah. yeah, maybe the other one's just better with like knives. Um. Anyway, so he provides the tools, but the butcher he's like the artist that knows how to carve this stuff up properly. But if you're providing the tools, like, what? Why do you have to be there every day? Sell the tools and you're done, right? Maybe maybe he sharpens the tools. I don't know. But they, they run a butcher it. shop. That could be it. They run a yeah. meat shop. Maybe it's an M&M meat shop. Um, B&B meat shop, yeah. B&B meat shop. Ah, interesting. Well, I give them credit for giving us like a backstory about like how this association actually works because I feel like um, it's just been incredibly vague for many weeks. We don't really know that much about the butcher and the blade. Now we know they run a meat shop. Uh, so I, I like that. I, I think um, I, it was shot well, leads led nicely into the segment. Kind of silly, yes, but I give them credit. If you were going to put a hit out on me, would you be so brazen as to e-transfer that money, or would you go about it this way in an envelope with my name written on it in your writing? Well, um, I don't know if my first instinct would would be to go to my butcher to to take you out um but if i was it, it, it might it might be the best choice see if i went to my butcher i think the my intent would be to poison you with like bad meat like expired meat and you know maybe 
judging by their win record, I think the Butcher and the Blade, maybe that's what they should be doing instead. Maybe that's what MJF should be invest, investing in instead, instead of having these guys, you know, essentially lose every single week to the Bucks and whoever. Does this count? Did this segment constitute the invisible camera? Um, it's hard. I mean, yeah, but I, I, I can accept it if it's, I mean, this was like, it, it was kind of like Lucha Underground, you know, the way it was shot. Um, to, to be really clear, around I, I don't think anyone would complain about that at all. Yeah. I think that's a line that if Tony Khan could have one line back, maybe it was his critique of the invisible camera because I don't think anyone really cares about no. segments like this of how is this being shot on camera. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, it's accepted within the wrestling universe that we're going to see things that uh, the performers on camera uh, do not believe they're on camera. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine, like, maybe when Tony Khan initially said that, he maybe had something in mind, um, I, and I think we're seeing, like, this show constantly evolve, they're trying different things, seeing what works, what doesn't, if you're gonna go the route of something as, I think, ridiculous as, like, killer butchers, um, you're, I think, you know, invisible camera might be sort of the least of your concerns, in fact, that you, you almost have to do something like this in order to explain it, so... This this entire segment was one line in my notes. I didn't think we would get five minutes out of this, but uh, here we are. The Butcher and the Blade versus the Young Bucks with MJF on commentary. And he said he was nearly killed last week because he doesn't know how to swim. And swimming is for poor people hmm. and fat people wearing shirts. <laughs> there was one interaction where uh, JR introduces MJF and, again, called him... Matthew Jacob Friedman. And while last week, I don't know if it was intentional or not, this week I sense that they're actually running with the gag of JR messing up names. Uh, but this time doing it as a way for JR to subtly insult MJF, which which I enjoyed. Uh, MJF calls the Young Bucks fake and that the only Bible verse they know is Austin 316. Uh, then he name-dropped Les Thatcher and Josh Barnett as the trainers of the Blade and the Butcher, respectively. Um they went through a commercial break. They mentioned that next week they're going to be in Huntsville, Alabama, and the legends of Alabama wrestling are going to be there for the live crowd doing meet and greets. So I like this idea of going to different wrestling, uh, historical wrestling markets and bringing some of the uh, older names from that region uh, just to do – whether it's just for the live crowd to do meet and greets or a segment on Dark, I think that's a that's a little hook that might you know spur on a couple – tickets that you can sell in addition it's cool yeah it seems like they you know they they try to come up with something unique for uh, a a local crowd every single week um and it makes you wonder what they will do if they come to toronto or wherever your hometown might be what do you think they would do if they came to sweet daddy seeky tribute night oh karaoke with sweet daddy seeky oh my god with john moxley and sweet daddy seeky uh yeah absolutely yeah, that would be that would be fun. Uh, Matt hit an Aussie DDT onto the blade. Then they double team blade with Nick hitting a uh, Swanton coming off the top with him draped on the middle rope. Double super kick to the butcher, and then the Meltzer driver on the blade for the win. After the fact, we got a post match attack from the butcher, the blade. Kenny Omega runs in V trigger, and then Hangman Page takes his time walking down the aisle, and then does a literal hold my beer moment. As he passes the beer to Matt, hits a buckshot lariat, chugs the beer, and then takes off. I'm pretty amazed at how much this like 
Hangman Page drinking gimmick is, has gotten over. Um, crowd loves him. Loves him more now than they did when he was just challenging Jericho for the title. Um, it's given him an, an identity. Right now, it doesn't even seem like he's going to turn heel. It just feels like I, he's... I think that's the genius in it, in that he was initially, it's, oh my god, he's turning. And now, it's like, he's now endeared himself to the fans, so yeah. that when you do the turn people will be genuinely upset or sad when he finally does the turn. So I, I think, I hope that is the course that they take, but I hope they play it out longer because now you've got the fans like they're, they're into this guy and it'll really mean something when he turns instead of it being so telegraphed uh, four weeks ago. Could be, could be. Yeah. But you know, I, honestly, I'm quite surprised at how, how much of a baby face gimmick this has become that I wouldn't be surprised if they decided to just run with it. Because, Maybe if if this yeah. really takes off, then yeah, don't you, you can just run with this if it works. Yeah, I, so the match itself, I I thought was like you know a good fun bucks match gives them a win. I maybe nothing that really was all that memorable or stood out. I, I feel like the butcher and the blade at this point are pretty much kind of cemented in your like putty patrols role, just as like especially like the blade who just seems to just lose a lot. Uh, and I don't really mind it because they need guys at this level, but I don't know if they have any like a bigger vision for this team than this. Because if they do, I feel like they're going to have to start booking them maybe a little bit stronger. After that, we had Big Swole versus Nyla Rose, and they showed a highlight of Big Swole defeating Diamante on Dark. And there was this glancing blow that connected, or I should say barely connected with Nyla Rose, that she sold and went all the way to the floor off of. Uh, Swole then missed and nailed her forearm into the post. They go through the break. Swole hits a knee strike, applies a guillotine, but gets driven into the corner. And then there's a slingshot cutter into the ring delivered by Swole, a flatliner, and then goes for the discus forearm. That gets stopped by a pretty weak-looking spear. And then Nyla hit the beast bomb, a sit-out powerbomb, for the win over Big Swole. I, I thought the match was perfectly fine. Really nothing, you know, wrong with it at all. It did, to me, feel perhaps a level below the standard of the rest of the show. Um, but maybe that's just kind of, uh, I don't know, um, the level of experience, perhaps. But this, to me, was a good showcase for Big Swole, who I think her, the biggest attribute she brings to the division is her really effortless charisma. Crowd immediately really likes her. Um, it doesn't seem like they're ready to give her a storyline just yet. She just seems to be here to, you know, give more uh, another win to prop up Nyla Rose. Uh, but in the future, I I anticipate her being pretty close next in line for something. And it looks like they're setting up Riho and Nyla Rose again. You think? Yeah, they were pushing like Nyla Rose as the number one contender. I believe is where she's ranked at this point. So. It's a win for Nyla Rose. I, I think Big Swole shows like a lot of potential. She has a lot of charisma about her. Um, the match didn't do a whole lot for me, um, but yeah, it was there to focus on Nyla Rose at the end of it. Then we went to Kip Sabian and Cody, and uh, Kip Sabian started off the match coming at him right away with the shotgun dropkick and gut buster. We had Arn Anderson and Penelope Ford in the respective corners, and on the floor... Cody wound up with an elbow and nailed Penelope Ford by mistake. And then he went to tend to Penelope Ford, lifting her up only to get nailed by Sabian off the apron. And it was all a ruse as Penelope Ford got up smiling and Kip and Penelope started to make out. 
Uh, during the break, uh, Sabian's knee gets checked on at one point, and then Cody hits a moonsault off the top. Uh, we come back from the break. There's a disaster kick, but then Penelope Ford throws her shoe in to distract the referee. Arn Anderson gets a hold of the shoe, starts arguing with referee Bryce Rensberg before Arn tosses the shoe into the crowd, and then he gets up and he chest bumps Bryce Rensberg, leading to Arn Anderson being ejected, and Arn is just so upset with himself as he leaves the ringside area. Penelope Ford hits Cody with a Hurricane Rana off the apron, and then Sabian follows with a dive, and then the two go to kiss one another over the guardrail, closing their eyes, and Joey Janela pops up out of nowhere, and they end up kissing him on both sides of his cheeks. And it's amazing. I, I actually thought I thought this was really funny. <laughs> and so well timed. <laughs> well, isn't it amazing that Joey Janela had the foresight to know that these two would kiss eyes closed right at that spot? I mean, the man is clearly just I mean, he can see the future, obviously. I mean, it uh it was amazing <laughs> that he was in that exact spot at that exact second. And they happen to execute those moves in such proximity with one another and then decide to go for a victory kiss. But it all worked out for him. It, it, was very, it was very much like a cartoon, honestly. And yeah, sure, whatever. I didn't have a problem with the spot, but it's just like by the end of it, 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 it I, I think it didn't really play into the momentum of the finish. If you know what I mean, they just like they pretty much like went back to uh, Sabian getting the advantage after this and it didn't play into anything really. Uh, no, it was just kind of like a cute spot to throw in there. And then they go into the finish where Cody counters the Deathly Hollows and he hits a Cody cutter followed by three consecutive crossroads. And the crowd just got louder and louder for each one. And Cody pins Kip Sabian, I guess, giving him a fair amount in this match. But to me, I almost thought Penelope Ford got as much, if not more than Kip Sabian in this match. I thought she kind of really stood out in her role. Well, I think she... Like the the feud is between her and Joey first and foremost, right? And Kip is almost like sort of just the Lashley in the program. Um, and certainly, I feel like she is. Mm, she already does feel like to me like maybe the bigger star of the of the package of of the two of them. Um, the match itself, I I thought I thought the three crossroads at the end were a nice touch. Um, I I don't I I wasn't a big fan of perhaps the finish. I I think. Ended up being a little bit messy because Sabian unfortunately lost his footing on that springboard Rana that he was l- looking to do off the top. Um, I also I also felt there was a little too much time between like the the high peak of sort of the Janelle interference with the dives and the end. It just feel felt like there was a bit of a lull, and by the end it was almost as if like Janelle didn't really really accomplish anything by by being there. I also think the Arn stuff. It's a little odd and it's a little flat right now, but I would assume it's all being set up for a turn because no competent, good manager would be doing the stuff that Arn is doing, inexplicably going up to the apron, taking over the match, getting himself ejected. That's what I'm assuming that that'll happen. Well, maybe we're going to see this pattern of Arn kind of interjecting himself and it finally leads to Cody just telling him to stay in the back and that gives the ammunition for the arm turn. And maybe this was just the start of that. Are they supposed to show that then uh, in in this case, are they supposed to show that Arn is just an incompetent manager? Uh, Not so much incompetent, just he's, he's getting in the way he's, he's getting emotional and he's not supposed to in that role. And he's, you know, getting, getting in Cody's way instead of assisting him. Right. 
They recapped. Um, I, I thought the match was okay. Um, it was okay. That's that's where I would go. Um, they they did get into the finish though. I think like the three crossroads. I think it did like lift up the crowd, so you at least went off on a high note with Cody doing the celebration afterwards. So they recapped the Britt Baker Tony Schiavone interview from last week, and Jim Ross explaining that he was told to send it to break. So there are Tony Schiavone and Britt Baker out again this week, and Britt insists that she be called Doctor, and she maintains that they were the stars of the show last week, and at least she was trending worldwide. And Tony held the microphone and called him Mr. Starbucks. But then she addresses Jim Ross, and she tells Jim to never interrupt her when she is speaking again. All he ever brings up is that she's a dentist, and you've been judgmental about everyone in my generation, yet you collect a large paycheck while we do all the work. And called him a barbecue salesman that can't even get our names straight. And she's going to be here every week, unlike their champion Riho. And then diagnoses Tony Schiavone with gingivitis <laughs> and tells him, Tony, you've got to pick up a toothbrush. And Cleveland, finally, you have a Baker you can trust in as a shot at Baker Mayfield of the Browns. And Ross just calls her a ray of sunshine. Dude, I think Britt Baker has been great in this role. I, I think she, if if you were maybe not big on her delivery last week, I liked the promo last week, and I thought she was even better this week. I think I could understand like why some didn't like the promo last week. Um, if if there was anybody who would make the same complaints this week, I really couldn't understand that because I thought this was just a legitimately good heel promo from Britt Baker, who finally feels like she's playing a role that fits her, that she she seems to to me excel at. You know, I thought these lines were really good. Uh, great delivery. Uh, she's changed up her look now. You know, doing the a, a bit more makeup, bigger hair, hoop earrings, and it all works. I found this act really entertaining. I, I thought the, I thought this was a great promo. Um, I, I could see the the argument that you know the line cut deep with like Jim Ross missing up names and stuff like that, but. I don't know if I want to portray my play-by-play guy in that light, even though that's been a, a criticism. Um, but I but think, it is like, but but even if she didn't call attention to it, like the audience knows, you know. And I'm yeah, honestly, like, I, I just don't know if you want to put a light, like, fo- like put a light on that on that fact for your your guy who is your authority. You know what I mean? Well, I suppose I I I'm of the mind that I think it's better to own a mistake and just to you know essentially be. Tell your audience that you're aware of it rather than to like, you know, pretend it did it, it doesn't happen and it doesn't occur. Um and it people still love JR, not because of I think his accuracy at this point, but maybe more so just for um the history behind his voice and just the familiarity with his voice and maybe like the occasional big match feel that he still provides. Uh, I feel like wrestling fans are still willing to listen to him, even if you know, he admittedly gets some of those names wrong. At this point, it might even be a little bit endearing. Uh, it, th- there may be some something to that. Um, I, I think if it was Tony Schiavone, I, I would completely agree with you. Like, I think that would just be an endearing part of Tony Schiavone, who's almost kind of like this, like he's not a, a comedic sidekick, but he's a guy that like, you know, he's just there to have a good time. And he, yeah, he's going to be rough around the edges at, at times. And I think that, you certainly 
uh, honed in on that last week that people felt bad for Tony getting belittled here by Britt Baker uh, and stuff. And I think they tried to transfer that to Jim Ross this week. But I, I really like this role for Britt Baker. I think it's totally renewed her uh, on this program. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, whenever a babyface doesn't work out, the immediate reaction is to turn him heel. But and and usually I would say most of the time that works out better. I, I think Britt Baker, though, has to me exceeded those expectations. You know, she could have just simply turned heel, maybe gotten some a few boos by insulting the hometown sports team. But I think she's actually doing a better job than that. Better delivery, uh, good lines written for her or that she's coming up with herself. Uh, all in all, I I feel like this is like a top, you know, top heel pro um, type of character for the division. Uh, then we went to Lexi, who we've seen on uh AEW digital programming, but here she was uh, on the program itself, interviewing the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, and the Bucks mentioned they want to work their way back to the tag titles, but they'll cross that bridge when they get there, standing right next to Kenny, and Paige walks in, and they just got their nameplates today, he's totally smashed as he's talking to the Bucks, and it ends with Omega announcing that next week, they're going to have an eight-man tag with all the members of the Elite, taking on the Butcher, the Blade, and a team of their choosing. And I thought this was a little confusing because we kind of established Paige has like removed himself from the elite. So when you're saying the elite, you're led to believe like Cody here, even though it's not Cody that's in the match. It is Hangman. I think they're all still. Yeah. I mean, that part I suppose is ambiguous, but I guess I, I, I've read this segment more, more so as the Bucks and Kenny still think that Paige is a part of the elite. And I think maybe Paige is still part of it. Technically, uh, by whatever contract he, that he broke up with them, and they said, "No, no, no, we're not breaking up." That's how I kind of read read the relationship right now. Yeah, so um, the team of their choosing will be Phoenix and Pentagon. So that's the eight man for next week. I'll tell you, did they one, just announce uh, that? They announced it by the end of the show. They oh. announced the team. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. Um, there was um for for the Super Bowl like media stuff this week. Um, the name escapes me. I, I don't need to be told football fans, but, uh, one of the players on the 49ers is like a huge wrestling fan. And one of his like celebrations, he does like the Pentagon junior, like Cerro mm. Miedo. And, uh, one of the media people asked him about that. And he explained, like, I got it from Pentagon junior. He's now a wrestler with AA, uh, with AEW. And Man, that to me is a clip I would have tried to play somewhere in here. Like, we've got the Super Bowl coming up this week, and one of the players is like a massive Pentagon Junior fan. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Um, like, that's the kind of stuff I think you, you really want to have. Like, look, we're we're not just in our own bubble here. Like, we're a big deal out, outside of this among, like, you know, big-time athletes. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Have there right. been instances of something like this, of, like, you know, a mainstream sports celebrity or, or some something that uh made mention of like an AEW star or is this Oh of an AEW star. Yeah. Um I don't know about an AEW star. Yeah. I know that you know um back in back in the days of uh of Nitro and it was a uh, George Kittle as I just save my Twitter mentions. Um back when in uh, 1998 when Mark McGuire was going and Bonds were going after um, or sorry, Sammy Sosa and Maguire were going after the Roger Maris record. That summer, there was an event where Nitro was in town and Goldberg, Bobby Heenan, and some of the WCW people, they went, I guess it was to like Bush Stadium in St. Louis, 
and Mark McGuire took his bat and he rubbed it on Goldberg's chest. And then that night he hit a home run with the bat and Bobby Heenan was just floored that WCW never aired that. Like they had this, I guess they had the footage and they made no mention of it. Interesting. Yeah. Like what a cool thing. Like here, this guy's going for the home run record and he like rubs the bat for good luck on Bill Goldberg's chest and hits a home run that night. I do wonder how how much how much of like events like this and the fact that like they might not be brought up is is just a, more of a systematic issue, where I mean you and I know John like if a TV show is is kind of has a rundown that's set in stone, sometimes it doesn't offer a whole lot of room to like you know add a brand new element like that in, uh, even you know, uh, but you know and maybe that's where like the WWE for all the pluses and minuses of like them exploiting every single bit of celebrity interaction that they might get. Um, they do have those systems in place where back home or at Stanford or maybe in the arena, a celebrity tweets about the WWE and you see this fancy graphics package. This happened, this happened, this happened. Really just kind of like exploiting it uh, almost. Um, but they have that system set up and we don't know if AEW does. Wow. It's uh, not for whatever reason. I think like that, that's always stuff you should always run to if you're mm-hmm. a company. It just It just makes yourself look really relevant in – uh, outside the wrestling world. So then we had uh, SCU come out. They were all in Kobe Bryant jerseys, and they were taking on the hybrid two, Jack Evans and Helico. who, I mean, we, we see them primarily on Dark, but this is certainly an underutilized team. And you know what? We, we've talked about the numbers many times. Like, they're just, they're, the, they're not one of the odd teams out. Like, you can't feature everybody, but here are two guys that I'm sure we sometimes forget are even in this division. Certainly, yeah. Uh, Kazarian hit this rotating German, uh, SCU got advantage on Jack Evans, uh, later in the match, Kazarian got a tag, ran wild on both Angelico and Evans, and then Evans went for a Sasuke special, landing on his feet on the floor, and Scorpio Sky dropped them, and they got back into the ring, SCU later onto Angelico, with Scorpio Sky getting the pinfall, and then they're celebrating in the ring when the Dark Order are back, they appear on video to address Christopher Daniels, and state that the Exalted One is upset with Daniels and have been instructed to target his brothers in SCU, and this is their warning. Mm, okay. I I mean, I think the Dark Order is, is hooking me with this tease of who the leader is. Um, I think really just for me, I really want it to be Matt Hardy, and I want, it, want them to maybe see them execute that plan uh, if, if it does happen. But I think they've done a good job of like making me intrigued about who this leader is, this exalted one. So uh, whoever it is maybe has some sort of history with uh, Chris Daniels, and I feel like Matt Hardy would fit that bill, given that um, like didn't they didn't all of them like come up together or work together in the past in like Omega or something? Uh, who, who's that? Daniels. Uh, Matt Hardy. Um, Daniels wasn't in. Omega, but he certainly had that. Like he is based now um, in California, but for a time he was like, uh, at first he was in Chicago, but I know he was in North Carolina for a while. But I, uh, he he may have done some Omega. Shows, I mean, I've but, I feel like I've certainly yeah. seen photos of like a very young Chris Daniels with like a very young Hardys. Like in I, I'm sure, setting, like so. yeah, in that yeah, in that mid '90s like independent scene, I'm sure they had um, lots of crossover. Anyway, um, either way, the question is. Yeah, we get like the higher power reveal of uh, who this exalted one is, because if you remember when they 
was re- revealed as Vince McMahon as the higher power, one of the ideas was for it to be the fallen angel Christopher Daniels. Well, it turned really? out to be Christopher Daniels. He was one of the ideas that got pitched. God, that would have been terrible for Daniels. Like, the amount of pressure that I think whoever... Like, think about all the negative reaction that Chris, uh, Vince McMahon had as the reveal of that. And if you're going to show... Like, if that reveal was to be somebody, at that time, a pretty big unknown in Chris Daniels, I feel like that would have been a real... I don't know. It would have been far. a really tough spot for him. Like, if you could uh, imagine, like, you know... In 1999, in the WWF, with a guy of Christopher Daniels' size, like, all due respect to the guy, that would have been a very tough role to uh, to pull off for him. That's crazy. I didn't know that story. Um, but yeah. The match here, you know, it, se- it seemed like it was obviously a match to rehab SCU. I, I thought the action was good, but um, not much heat for it, unfortunately. And I-, I wonder if that just has to do with maybe the crowd's... Uh, the crowd recognizing that this wasn't necessarily a a result that was going to be in question, nor do I sense much interest behind the hybrid two at this point, because there's been no promotion behind the team. Uh, We had a promo from PAC in this. uh, It was like this produced uh, video in this dark stairwell with PAC outdoors in his trunks. The full gear thing is real. (laughs) <laughs> this looked cold like he was breathing out and you could see you could see his breath. his breath yeah so this must have been at least like five degrees celsius or something like that um and this dude is in his underwear with his wet hair talking like a wrestler god probably gonna get sick he said moxley has made his bed for himself now he has to lie in it and said maybe i'm gonna come and pluck the other eyeball then he addresses Kenny Omega and can't stand Kenny's arrogance and audacity to simply fit in Pack when it's convenient. But that doesn't work for him. And it will be done on Pack's timetable starting next week. And he is coming for blood. I will say, you know, it's hard for me to imagine this type of promo coming from like Pack dressed in like a winter jacket, um, <laughs> snow pants. No, scarf. Nah, it just wouldn't work, you know? Um, so I, I guess he's, he's going to have to be like in his underwear anytime he's on TV, it seems. I I think it works for him. Like he's like this human gargoyle. That's just always in one state of dress. I I think it works for the guy. It does come across a little bit comedic though. Don't don't you think? Um, to me, the intensity of the promo overcomes like the visual of what the man's wearing in this particular environment. Um, right. I, I didn't mind it so much. I thought it was a very good promo from him. I thought so too. And uh, you know, I, I feel like AEW has been wrapping up its pre-production elements lately, uh, and I think the result is a show that feels a, a bit more complete and a lot more dynamic. Then they did the rundown for next week's show. So the main thing next week is Cody receiving the ten lashes from MJF. John Moxley versus Ortiz, Britt Baker versus Yuka Sakazaki, and then Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and the Young Bucks against the Butcher, the Blade, the Phoenix, and the Penta <laughs> in nice. Huntsville, Alabama. So that is all coming up next week. Main event, Chris Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz against Darby Allen and Private Party. Jericho came out with the Puerto Rican bandana tied around his neck. The honorary Puerto Rican, Chris Jericho. Yes. And this time, the crowd, I thought, did a better job singing his theme after it ended. You know and what I they should... This thing... 
Well, what 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 I think they should do is air that lyric video before the show, like in between. You know, I don't know during dark or maybe right after dark between before the live show, so this audience at least knows what no can can have a chance of like practicing before the live broadcast. Yeah, I mean, if you want to encourage it, that's a that's a smart idea. I think the crowds like they they know now like this is going to be part of his entrance moving forward. So <laughs> I, I think you're just going to see this as like a staple now for his theme. And then at the pay per view, he should change it to a different Fozzie song. Oh damn! Wow. That's how you be a heel in 2020. <laughs> Don't let them sing. Um, we had a crucifix battle here between Isaiah Cassidy and Ortiz. Jericho blind tagged in and springboard drop kicked Cassidy off the apron to set up the commercial. They had the heat on Cassidy all throughout the break. Then Darby got the big tag and he was in with Chris Jericho. That built up to a couple of near falls on Jericho. Then he uh, tagged out to Cassidy and hit the coffin drop to Jake Hager on the floor. Mark Quinn took out Santana and Ortiz with a dive, leaving Cassidy with Jericho to hit a Centon Atomico onto Jericho. And for a split second, you were wondering if Isaiah Cassidy would pin Chris Jericho. The answer was definitely not. He kicked out and then with a reversal, nailed Cassidy with the Judas effect. And Cassidy, maybe he was watching Edge sell that concerto, starts twitching with his hand and Jericho pins him after the Judas effect. So... Um, I like the way this ended. And last week I was kind of saying, I don't want Chris Jericho to just, his matches should be big deals when he's on television wrestling. And while I didn't feel this was like a big match to promote to, I do think there is value in Jericho just continually killing guys with the Judas effect Mm -hmm. leading into this revolution show. And there was value to that at the end with the interaction with Cassidy. And then ultimately he wins with the Judas effect. Not to mention just like the star power of having Chris Jericho on your TV wrestling. Yeah, and right? th- this this week needed it. Like this week did not feel like a big dynamite. So mm-hmm. Jericho wrestling in the main event was something may- maybe you did need this week. I was actually surprised at how well I think Chris Jericho integrated with uh, the teams here with this younger crop. You know, he he's somebody who picks his spots well, and that Judas effect is actually incredibly over and and as a as a surprise out of nowhere type of finisher. To me, though, Darby Allen continues to steal the show. He's got such a unique, captivating style of movement that's just so different from anybody else in professional wrestling. Um, I think he's just amazing to watch. So I love seeing him in this uh, main event and, and, and the angle afterwards, too. Yeah, so after after the match, the inner circle is beating down Allen and Private Party. Jericho takes his belt, uh, the, the championship, and whips Allen with it. Sammy Guevara gets the skateboard and I thought they were going to break the the skateboard and I thought this place would just riot. But Hager hits uh, Darby Allen with the, the low knee and then Guevara stops Jericho with the belt and he attacks Darby with the skateboard, culminating in them driving his throat into the edge of the skateboard into the mat. And then finally, John Moxley ran down with a bat and fought them all off. Um, I found this just... <laughs> Amusing that, like, we talked about the ending of Raw and just no one coming to Edge's aid and here AEW, like, they certainly were not going to leave that hanging. And here came John Moxley to fight everyone off with a bat and sent them all away. So Moxley stood tall at the end of this whole thing. So I thought John Moxley was the best thing on this show. I thought Jericho was great in this main event. Um, I will say, I, I don't think any of the matches were, like, your 
out of this world matches that I would highly recommend. Like this felt like, you know, it was five matches and I think they ranged from average to good, but I, I don't think we ever hurt, hit that like excellent level. Certainly. I agree with you. I thought, you know, it was a decent edition of dynamite where all the segments, I think I would at least classify as good or at least inoffensive, but I, I don't know how much of the show felt that significant in a way that, you know, you have to watch this segment. I don't know if I would necessarily say that about too much here. Um, perhaps that's just, you know, due to them giving more airtime to lesser featured people, which I really don't hate on at all. I think occasionally you need a show like this to feature somebody like a Big Swole. Um, I will say I thought the show moved along well, and I think certain storylines were, were able to move along pretty decently, too. I, I, I loved the treatment of John Moxley at the beginning. Um they had, you know, a closing angle here that seemed to promise a future feud between uh, Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen, and maybe even a future team up of John Moxley and Darby Allen, which I think would be really cool in terms of personalities. Like, sort of those two sort of lone wolf type types would actually fit together really well. Yeah, I think I think you naturally. I'm sure we we probably get that tag at some point with Jericho and Guevara against Moxley and Darby Allen. That would make sense to happen sometime before the pay per view. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I, I thought it was still a good episode uh, of Dynamite, and um, yeah, it, it it moved well uh, throughout. And you know, now we're we're still a month out from the pay per view, but I guess now we will probably start to see the pay per view start to take shape beyond just the main event that we're aware of now. Mm-hmm. So we'll go to the forum and tonight's show on a scale of one to ten from our forum audience drew a seven, right on the nose. So a seven. Brandon from Oshawa starts our, off our feedback, and he writes, With no matches that I was really looking forward to, I found myself paying attention to some of the smaller things on the show. In particular, the tag ropes. I noticed in past weeks that I either didn't even see them or people just were not using them. Tonight, it seemed like more effort was made in different tag matches, which I liked. I really loved the vignette with MJF paying off BBB. I thought it looked cool and was well done. MJF was also incredible on commentary, and I enjoyed the little backstories he gave us on who trained Butcher and Blade. Britt Baker also had a really good promo, and I think this was the best she came off in her entire run. I'm hoping Sammy Guevara stepping up the the beatdown of Darby leads to Guevara and Darby at the pay-per-view. Do you guys think there's any chance Kenny turns on Hangman? Everything points to Hangman being the one to turn, but I think he's the most over as he's been in a while. I think it's possible. You know, I, I would almost say like a hangman heel turn is almost too too expected, too telegraphed, that I can see Kenny turning heel. Um at the same time, that's a risk. You know? Yep. But but I don't I don't doubt that Kenny would do a great job as a heel. And where where would you slot him right now as like he's probably number three babyface at the moment, behind Cody, behind Jericho. He turns I mean, to me, it's it, it. It really, to me, depends where, where you're going after this Jericho Moxley program. But there's a lot of programs for him as a heel with Cody, with mm-hmm. uh, w- with John Moxley again that you can revisit, and it's not the kind of dueling babyface role. So it's something that I'm sure at some point we're going to get Kenny as a heel. The question would be, is now the right timing for that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it seems to have been something that at least was maybe hinted at at the beginning of the, or at the end of last year, like when Kenny was kind of doing his own depressed losing streak type of gimmick. Now that seemed yeah. to be kind of passed on to Hangman Page. Uh, but I feel like if you were to justify a Kenny heel turn, you he could be saying, 
you know, he could be going back to that storyline and talking about how, you know, I had so many unresolved feelings and ultimately this was my only path or whatever. Um, I think as long as the story is well told, I'd be willing to buy it. And and in fact, it might answer like a heel turn for Kenny at this point might might fix a lot of the perhaps over over the top comedy uh, types of things that I think people have been criticizing criticizing him of doing too much of. We got a Sean from Toronto who says a relatively average episode with with not much that truly stuck out for me. In fact, my biggest takeaway was probably the continuation of Britt Baker's heel turn. It seemed the it seemed in the picture in picture that SCU was giving a promo and tribute to Kobe Bryant, so it's a real shame I couldn't hear what they were saying. Finally, I have to admit that Hangman's drinking gimmick is starting to grow on me since it leads to humorous moments such as him giving the young bucks his beer before he goes to the back. On the topic of like the, you know, in between commercial picture in picture types of things, um yeah, I could sense frustration if it's something if it's a guy talking you can't hear it. At the same time, I consider like those moments to be create advertisements for going to the live event, you know? To me they're almost right. like it's almost like, you know, watching a seeing something in scramble vision where you can only hear it but you can't really see it except in this case it's sort of the opposite. Um to me like they're almost advertising these little bonus deleted scenes that you could only get if you go live. Yeah, and it's like if you are that much of a fan that you so want to see this stuff, um you don't have to wait till the till AEW comes to your town. You you could get AEW plus if that's really driving you that you want to see that. So, mm-hmm. um I understand what 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 it's serving and it would be interesting to see kind of the the fluctuation of is there a big tune out factor during these breaks or are they doing better in terms of um, maintaining that audience to just leave their TV on when they go to picture in picture. I'd be curious by those stats as well, if this is working. And I mean, they've been doing it since the beginning. So um, that would suggest that they're, they're happy with what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. Varouge from Phoenix. A lot of smaller wrestlers run into the issue of having super weak looking offense against bigger guys. Darby Allen is not one of them. Orange Cassidy's whole gimmick is that he's effortlessly cool, but in a very different way, Darby Allen is just as cool, just as effortlessly. I can't wait for a mid-card title. He'll shine in that division. I never understood the appeal of Adam Page until this drinking gimmick. He's hilarious in the role, but I really don't know how much longer they can go with it before they're beating a dead horse. <laughs> what do you think about... Every, um, I, sorry. Yes. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, all these comments, like, everyone's bringing up Hangman Page that I, I think it is clicking with people. The guy's over. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of a uh, mid-card title, which I guess hasn't really been discussed since Cody first talked about it in that, like, press conference call, um, do you think uh, – when do you think would be a good time to, to introduce it? And, and who do you sort of see uh, at this point in, the, in AEW's roster? Who do you see fitting in that sort of level? I, I love the idea of, like, I, I'm not big on a title being brought in and it's just to keep, like, your middle of the card busy. I would bring it in and want to pre- position it as close to a main event title. And it seems ready-made to do something where that becomes Cody as the first champion to establish the title. It's the title he can win. And automatically, you're putting it on a top guy. So that that would be my way of going about introducing a title and, and build it around either Cody being the first champion or that is what he is going for with whoever is the first champion. Mm-hmm. A guy like, you know, Darby Allen, I almost wonder if he might be even above that by now. 
like he he here like in this show he was essentially sort of the 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 equal to Chris Jericho in that he was the only other single star in the match outside of Chris Jericho and I wonder if like a secondary belt for him would be a step down uh when I feel like he's actually quite close to like a main event level role but you know like you said we'll see how they establish that mid card title if it's Cody holding it I think it it can very much feel like a mid second mid card or sir second main event level belt too so we shall see we got to and that's one thing yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to continue. Um, I was just going to say though that you know when you have, like, right now you take Darby Allen as as like a serious threat. Like you equate him to like being a top performer. If you have a secondary title that is very much viewed as that, and he's attached with that title, I don't think you necessarily think of him like that as well. And that's mm-hmm. something with with AEW not having that kind of a title now. I think you see more of a it's kind of wide open of who can be in that, in that main picture, like Scorpio sky pinning Chris Jericho. You all of a sudden there's like a big spotlight on Scorpio sky. So I think there's good and bad to having excessive titles. Um, it's all in how you position them and protect those titles. We got Andrew from Cape Breton who says, so I think tonight was the jump the shark moment for me with Jim Ross. When you have a heel called Jim, out for screwing up names, and then he does so in the main event, calling Isaiah Cassidy Kennedy. I think it's time to end his run as commentator. I love Taz whenever he was on, and a motivated Taz is a really good commentator. Taz, Tony, and Excalibur would be the perfect trio. Jim Ross's commentary has become like The Undertaker's wrestling. It's sad to see a guy past his prime being sent out there to, to embarrass himself. Other than that, the show was pretty good tonight. The matches aren't blow away, but they're consistent. Cody Rhodes had a decent match with Kip Sabian, and Sabian and Ford were able to showcase their characters while still losing to the big baby facing Cody. The only negative for me was Darby Allen losing once again. I feel he has been losing far too much, but I do have faith in AEW's booking of their male baby faces that hopefully this turns out well for him. 6 out of 10. I, I think Darby got a lot out of that. I mean, he didn't take the fall, and he was the subject of like the major angle afterwards. I mean, he's coming out of this with like a program with the inner circle. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's something for Darby Allen to really like be able to sink his teeth into now where he's kind of just been this character that's just floated throughout the roster at this point. Now he's got like a, a program. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming out of it, certainly like with Darby being the focus of attack for the entire stable, I kind of saw him as the star of that segment. I mean, other than when Moxley came out. Um, but that one, two of like Moxley Allen team up, I think to me sounds really good and would be sort of like a babyface tandem that wouldn't be using any of the members of the elite that I think could carry sort of like a top mix. Noah writes with four straight special editions in the books. We knew we were getting back to a normal dynamite tonight. And I thought it did a good job of building up the weeks to come. Moxley came across like a major star. They've done a fantastic job building to that title match so far. I loved all the video packages they showed this evening, especially the MJF pack and dark order ones. And that Brit, Britt Baker promo was fantastic. I love this because AEW saw that her initial few months of being a babyface were not working, so they adjusted and did a great job with her promo. Seven and a half out of ten. And with Yuka returning to AEW next week, do you guys know if they will have her appearing more often? Because she was a real standout for me. Um, I don't know how much uh, presence we will see of her or not. Um, you know, she's part of the roster, so I think is she'll be a regular. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't I'm I'm not privy to like the details behind what the holdup was because certainly I think coming off of um some of those initial um tags before they had a TV deal, like she was certainly a standout more so than uh yeah, at least rivaling Riho. Uh and certainly more so than, you know, uh Amy Sakura, for instance. So uh maybe this return hopefully will be a more permanent one. We we shall see. At the same time it's like this roster I feel like has only so much space. It's starting to fill up itself. And I feel like you have a lot of talent that's probably stuck on dark that isn't really getting the airtime too. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how much room they have for her and how she does next week. And being with like Tokyo Joshi pro, I mean, it's like, you can't expect that she's going to be there every week. It's going to be, you know, infrequent at times. So um, we'll, we'll see like what, what her schedule ends up being that she's going to be uh, present here because, you know, she does have, a role there uh, in Japan as well. Gerard says, good show overall. A few thoughts. Big Swole might be the most underrated wrestler on the roster. She always manages to get the crowd into her matches. Nyla Rose looks like she has improved in the ring. Kip Sabian has go away heat with me. I don't care for him or his angle with Janela. And Cody should be able to beat a guy like Sabian in like five minutes with little effort. I don't know. Right. I don't know if I agree with that. Because, like, you know, even if you remember the first edition of Dynamite, it was, what, Cody and, and Sammy Guevara, and it was a pretty back-and-forth match. Same thing with Cody and Darby Allen. Like, Cody isn't necessarily um, sort of like... He's not a Brock Lesnar type. He's a guy who kind of has to work for his victories, and I don't think the audience has any issue with that at all. I feel like... Like, he's Ric Flair. He's Ric Flair. Like, he will sure. go in there, and it's like the guy is going to go... You know, he's going to get like a match out of a guy and then hopefully he gets something in losing to Cody as well. I mean, going right back from that, that very first uh, week with Sammy Guevara, like that was the intent, Um, which actually, did you see that um, the road to Cleveland video this week with Brandy's therapy session? I have not. So they did a segment where Brandy is talking to a therapist and they go back and show a clip of that match with Cody and Sammy Guevara when uh, Cody dove to the floor and knocked into Brandy and she suffered a head injury. And this has led to her dual personality. Oh God. And then it's revealed. She's, she's not speaking to a therapist. She was speaking to a teddy bear this whole time and she believes she's fine. But that explains now why Brandy is two different people. Again, I appreciate the effort to maybe fill <laughs> fill some of those plot holes as ridiculous as may be as they may be, but okay, sure. So she got hit in the head and therefore um, became became this goth character. All right, yep. okay. Hagaki writes, uh, "Good show overall, but felt lacking energy at times." Britt Baker seemed more comfortable this week and might win me over eventually, but I'm glad I didn't have to see her wrestle. The new inner circle intro makes me think Jericho will retain. For months to come, seven out of ten is his ranking. The intro, as in, um, new theme music. Um, maybe the video. I don't know. I I didn't take oh. anything that. Um, I'm not sure what he's being specific about, yeah. or not being specific about. Finally, from NJ, from NJ, he says it's the little things like Jericho wearing the bandana with proud, proud and powerful. Chris Daniels dropping the microphone, botching on their ring entrance, promos that feel fresh. Creative criticisms aside, performers are allowed to perform, and I find that refreshing. I thought Baker cut a great promo that was both inside and great heel work, and had awesome rival City Heat. Good night for her to do it. Pac's video was cool. 
Have either of you caught the Road 2 episodes for the last few weeks? Feels like trial and error for the next TV show. Yep. Uh, yeah, as John talked about, he... Uh, any other thoughts on those Road 2s? Road what else am I missing? Um, God, I'm trying to think what else was on that, that Road 2 show. It was mainly, I want to say, about uh, Cody and Kip Sabian. Um, that they, they featured a bit on uh, Kip Sabian. Um, the main thing was the Brandy thing at the end. I mean, it was... Uh, it was all right. Um not nothing that I would say like you have to absolutely go and see unless you want to see this uh Brandy talking to I herself do slash that, therapist. Well, check yeah. that out. That's like the last couple of minutes of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we get on out of here, um, can I mention some notes from uh from NXT tonight? We have a updated card for uh Takeover Portland. Yeah, let's hear it. It's going to be headlined. Uh, we've got Adam Cole defending the NXT title against Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, that joins Finn Balor and Johnny Gargano, Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair for the women's title, and then um, we're also going to be getting uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick's, uh sorry, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish against Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne. So this is shaping up to be another really solid takeover show in a couple of weeks. Why not o- O'Reilly? I sorry, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish defending uh-huh. the tag titles. Yes. Cool. 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 Yes. So that's your okay. Uh, your tag, looks like tag it lo- looks like a solid card. It sounds like a sounds like an awesome card. That tag match yeah. is going to be fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see Do you see Cole and Gargano? Do you see them doing a title switch? Um, I don't know what. I don't. It doesn't feel like it's the right time. You know, mm-hmm. I I don't know. Especially like you know, when you're heading towards WrestleMania. Um, yeah, they Even got though, a quick, like, by their standards, a quick turnaround to doing another takeover WrestleMania weekend. So it's like six weeks between big shows for them. I feel like if you're going to do a title change this close to Mania, like, why not just save it for that weekend where I feel like it would feel like a bigger deal? Uh, I just don't really sense it right now with, with Ciampa. Um, I don't see, like, the fan demand for, like, that big moment and, and for that moment feeling that that major. I, I, I see Cole escaping with it. All right, so um, on the Hangout, uh, we'll probably chat a bit more about NXT, but you can go over and check out Up Next right now with uh, Braden and Davey with a a thorough rundown of tonight's uh, episode of NXT. So Wayne and I will be back Thursday afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern time for all patrons, along with Gareth from Grapple, who will be joining us to chat about the Grapple 100 and the entire process of ranking pro wrestling matches in this day and age and they're doing a great job with it yeah certainly yep um and your calls i'm i'm really looking forward to hearing a lot of our regulars who we haven't spoken to in like a month so i hope you all tune in and uh, make some time to join the chat room and uh call in looking forward to it so we'll speak with all of you on the hangout and that is it for us goodbye